welcome to another episode with Coach Kathy. I have the lovely Diane Wingert back with me again. And today we are going to talk about the topic of coaching versus therapy. And who better than Diane as my expert of today to talk about this difference because she comes from that therapy background and now she coaches uh, amazing women with ADHD, those driven hardworking women that have that unique wiring. And so I wanted to have this dialogue with her about coaching versus therapy because they're both very much needed. At some point, you may need medication, therapy, coaching, nutrition, just your way of life, exercise, all of that comes into play. So we really need to look at this holistically. In this particular topic, we're going to go and talk about the differences of when do we go down the different roads of therapy and coaching. So Diane, welcome back again. I am thrilled to be with you. Thank you, my dear. Thank you. So let's get into it, Diane. Let's start with therapy first. So I got diagnosed with ADHD. Why would I want to look at therapy first? Okay. Can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the thing about therapy is that it's been around for a hundred years. And so it, it's tested, it's tried, it's true. And most middle-class people have heard of it, been to it, or know someone who has. It's familiar. Now, what a lot of people who are getting diagnosed with ADHD as adults don't know is that while you can get a diagnosis of ADHD by a therapist, And I should state that a therapist might be a licensed professional counselor. They might be a licensed clinical psychologist. They might be a licensed clinical social worker, or they might be a licensed marriage and family therapist. They could even be a psychiatrist who does therapy. But with all of those different disciplines, any one of them, depending on the state that you're in or wherever you are in the world, they may be able to diagnose you with ADHD, but choose not to, and I'll get into that in a moment, but if medication is the primary reason that you are seeking out a diagnosis, even if you have that diagnosis of ADHD confirmed or affirmed by a therapist, you're still gonna have to go to a doctor to get your prescription. With very few, exceptions. I don't know if there's anywhere in the world that you can actually get a prescription for medication with the recommendation from a psychotherapist that uh, because it's a medical treatment, you need a medical prescription and only the psychiatrist of the ones I've mentioned can do that. So that's the first thing that a lot of people don't understand. So they'll say, well, I just need to go to a therapist and get diagnosed and then I can you know look into Ritalin or Adderall or Vyvanse or what I'm like "Ah, not so fast not so fast are there other good reasons to see a psychotherapist when you think you have ADHD and you don't have any interest in medication yes there are for example a lot of people these days find out that they have ADHD when they're well into their adult life. The fastest growing segment of the adult ADD newly diagnosed group is actually adult women over 40. So 
just imagine you're in your 40s, you're in your 50s, 60s, or even beyond. I recently met a woman who was 72 who had just been diagnosed. One of the first reactions that might happen when you confirm that suspicion is grief. And the therapy office is kind of a natural place to do grief work, but that's not everyone's reaction to their diagnosis. I don't know about you, a lot of people say they're relieved or they realize, oh, this makes so much sense. Now my life finally makes sense and they don't feel any grief at all. So yeah, that was me. Yeah, well, you were just relieved. Yeah, my whole life made sense. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, now what do we do next? Right. <laughs> and but see that the see, this is a really good point though, because let's say I'm I'm gonna tell a story of like a sort of a typical scenario. You are a woman who's always known you were different. Ever since you were a little girl, you just noticed that you went about things differently. You came to different conclusions. You just you might say you sort of walked to your own beat, right? Maybe you were more active than your friends. Maybe you were more creative than your friends. Maybe you talked louder, laughed louder, always had to be busy. Obviously I'm describing myself and you could just never sit still. You had to be doing something all the time. And even as a little girl, you noticed not everybody was like that. What did you make it mean? It depends. If you had a healthy, normal, functional family or something like that, maybe you were lucky enough to have a parent or parents that would say, you are a very bright, creative, and curious girl. It's going to be very important that you have a life where you get to do the things that are really interesting to you and not so much of the things that you find boring. If you were lucky enough to have that kind of parent, you probably would never even get diagnosed with ADHD. But let's say you were another little girl, exactly the same traits, but you had very strict, conforming, authoritative parents who were deeply embarrassed and inconvenienced by your behavior. Those parents would probably be shuttling you off to one child therapist after another saying, she doesn't listen to me. She's, you know, a space case. She interrupts her teacher and gets in trouble. She pushes and shoves when she doesn't get her turn or whatever it may be. So you're already going to think of yourself as some kind of damaged goods. Later on, you find yourself in a therapist's office with a diagnosis of ADHD, you might feel mad. You might feel ripped off. You might feel sad for the missed opportunity of not knowing all these years. You might feel relieved. Would any of those scenarios be well-suited to being in a therapist's office? Maybe. What do you think? Have you ever been to a therapist? I was. I was many times. For, for ADHD? Uh, no, but just the whole for life. Why am I different? Why is this happening? And I, I, I relate to the first scenario that you said where I had supportive parents and all of that mm -hmm. stuff. But also when I was little, we moved to Canada 
And so I was that new kid in the school who didn't speak a word of English in mm. my early teens. So I was bullied and I had to kind of fend for myself and I had to, you know, figure out who am I and why am I here and why did my parents do this to me, <laughs> bring me to a foreign country. So I went through a lot of that culture shock mm. at a young age. So my therapy was more to kind of work with, you know, I tried to survive all of this too young, grew up too fast. And how do I now figure out where I want to go next? So I, I totally see that what you're saying well, makes sense. The, the scenario that you just said, which by the way, obviously has nothing officially to do with your ADHD, mm -mm. but you probably got, because I was a psychotherapist for almost 25 years, you probably got a diagnosis of adjustment disorder. Mm. Adjustment disorder is one of the most benign of all the therapeutic diagnoses. And it basically means something happened and you're having a hard time adjusting to it. Your parents moved, you didn't speak the language, you, you had the loss of your friends and everything that was familiar back home. And so your circumstances changed, you're having difficulty adjusting it's impacting your quality of life. It's impacting your functioning. It might be impacting your grades, might be impacting your mood, your energy, your motivation, your ability to get along with others. And if that were the case, then you probably did need therapy. But you know, one of my issues with therapy is that, and I have been, I've spent many hours in a therapist's couch and chair and mm -hmm. so forth. A lot of people, I say couch, but a lot of people have this idea that you lay down on the couch and free associate. <laughs> that is actually psychoanalysis. And that's something you have to do like four or five times a week. I never did that. Regular psychotherapy for you people who are uninitiated to that, usually one hour, once a week on a regular basis until the symptoms or problems that brought you there have resolved to the point where you feel like you're good to go. This can take weeks, often takes months, can take years. And I have certainly known of many people who have been in therapy for decades. I don't think that's normal. I don't think mm -hmm. it's healthy. I do not think that therapy, I think when it goes on that long, there's sort of an implicit unspoken agreement between the therapist and the client that it's a long-term dependency. Right and on. Yeah. There's, I yeah. don't think that's, I don't think that's the intention. I think the way it's supposed to work is therapy. Here's my opinion. Therapy is the appropriate form of intervention, you can call it treatment, care, whatever, the appropriate modality when there has been trauma, when there has been a significant loss, when there has been abuse, when there is an active addiction, which could include eating disorders, even internet addiction. Yep. If there is abuse, addiction, trauma, significant loss, or you know, you're literally not able to function in the day-to-day -day needs of your life, 
clearly something is needed. And in most cases, coaching is not going to be adequate. You need a trained clinician who can understand, recognize, and manage the risks of a person who may be triggered by things that could be said, may their functioning may increase or decrease. If they have a bona fide mental disorder that mm -hmm. leads to significant instability, that's not something a coach should be dealing with. But even with all of this, I do not think open-ended therapy for life is beneficial. I don't think any kind of long-term dependency is beneficial. Yeah, That's, that's my and stance. It, I love it because one of the things for me when I went to therapy every time, and now that I look back, it was never like a long-term thing. I didn't also stay with the same therapist. I would like go to different ones mm -hmm. depending on what I was trying to work out at that point in my life. And every time that I went, the minute I started to talk it out and kind of verbalize what I was going through, that in itself was so therapeutic that I was like, okay, I think I'm good. I, I, so I just want to say something here on this because you're reminding me of uh, with ADHDers, we are verbal processors. We, yes. Some of us really need to talk things out and give you so much context and so yes. much background story. Yes. As a therapist, how did you manage that so that they could kind of like, you know, get something out of that session? Or maybe was it one session that they just talked? <laughs> no, th you, this is really good. But I say it takes one to know one and you and I are like-minded and like-brained. So it's a very mm -hmm. astute and excellent question. You know, it was one of the reasons that I realized, and I'm ask, I'm answering a different question, but I'm gonna, it relates and I'm going to come back to it. Yeah, you're um, going to come back to it. You have to. <laughs> you're going to have to reel me in. Well, I'll reel you in. <laughs> because here's the thing. People did run on at times. Not all of them, but some of them. Some people would recount the same stories again and again. Mm -hmm. I would see some people get into the same dynamics again and again, whether it was with their spouse, their boss, their child, or themselves. And because one of the things that, that a person with ADHD is very good at in general, and especially a therapist with ADHD is pattern recognition. Right on. I would see these patterns and sometimes I really had to learn how to manage my own impulsiveness because as soon as I would recognize the pattern, it was almost like a game show. I wanted to hit the, the buzzer and jump up and say, I got it, here's what you're doing. But of course, that, that's not what people want from a therapist. So I, I had to learn to slow down and listen, even when the story was becoming repetitive, mm -hmm. maybe boring and not interrupt too much. This required a lot of discipline over time. Sometimes mm -hmm. I would be pinching myself, but ultimately I learned that it's much more skillful to let the person go for a while Mm -hmm. But not, I think about it, I have three little chihuahuas and I have 15 foot dog leashes. 
the the leashes are very long the dogs are very small but i don't let them run all the way to the extent of the leash i'll let them run about two-thirds and then i start nice. to pull them back this is a metaphor for how i would work with those clients because they would just go on and on and on and on and oftentimes you know yes i agree with the verbal processing but sometimes people would process and then their emotions would start to settle. And then they would start to resume the story from the beginning and get themselves worked up again. That would be when I would intervene with a question, which would be another form of pattern interrupting. So it's yes. like, I noticed that you are, or have you ever thought about or can you remember what you thought when, whatever it was to like kind of pull them out of the story? Because I do believe that verbal processing is how most of us work and is necessary. What is not necessary is covering the same turf again and again and again. That is literally wearing a groove in your brain so that the story that you tell yourself about what happened gets embedded and then just keeps showing up automatically, leading you to think, I'll never get over this. Not so. You can stop the pattern. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was a very long answer. But so good. You touched on so many points. And sometimes with some of my clients, I I'm trained to recognize that. And I'm also, one of my mentors calls it, Okay, I'm going to give you 10 minutes of BMW, bitch, moan, and whine. Mm. So, and then after that, then I'm going to gently interrupt you. So do you want 10 minutes? Do you want 15 minutes? And I love that because sometimes we do need to process that emotion and that yes. thought. Right? So then when I see with my clients, when it starts to get to the point of we're talking about the same thing again, and, we're and the tools are not working, the strategies mm -hmm. that they came up with, then it's like, okay, let's have a hard conversation, a hard to hard conversation about there's healing of the past that needs to be done and therapy in conjunction with coaching, or maybe you pause the coaching and you go back into therapy. You know, that, that's one of the things with me and my clients is to make sure that they understand both sides of this. Mm -hmm. You asked me earlier, when do, you know, kind of, how do we know, you know, because Yes, therapy is sort of what we're familiar with. We've heard about it for a lot of years. Maybe our, you know, our uncle went, our mom went, our parents went, we've gone. We kind of know when you say, I'm going to see a therapist, people are like, oh, okay, I hope, that, hope everything goes okay for you. People kind of understand what it is. It feels safe and sanctified and all that. But it can also be repetitive. It can also be unnecessary. It can be expensive. And it can be just mm -hmm. frankly downright unhelpful. As a matter of fact, the statistics for many years state that 50% of all therapeutic relationships end after a single session. People go to therapy and they never go back. So I think there's a lot of people that are dissatisfied for all kinds of reasons. But the word healing brings to mind that, you know, I mentioned abuse, trauma, addiction, loss, and significant mental disorders as being sort of key indicators. Is ADHD any of those things? No, but 
if someone has ADHD and they don't have an addiction problem, they don't have an abuse history, they haven't been traumatized, they don't have any of those other issues, but could they have experienced something in their life prior to the diagnosis that requires healing in order for them to move forward? Yes, because we are more than our ADHD. ADHD is who we are. It's how we experience and perceive and interact with the world and the other people in it. But it's not the only thing we have going on. And people can experience things that require healing in order to be good candidates for coaching. For example, let's say you spent 45 years thinking you're stupid, you're broken, you are damaged, you, there's something wrong with you, your brain doesn't work, you wonder if your parents dropped you on your head, whatever it is, and then you find out you're ADHD, you might need a short course of therapy to feel healed from all the suffering of all the years that you thought something was seriously and irretrievably wrong with you. Now, could a skillful coach guide you out of that? Yes. Yes, I believe a skillful coach can, but you and I both know, just like all therapists are not skillful, all coaches are not skillful. I'm sorry to say, after having been a therapist for so many years, that most therapists, while well-trained, well-meaning, and experienced, would not be able to recognize ADHD in an previously undiagnosed adult woman. Yeah. Usually other things come along the way, like years and years of struggling, misunderstanding yourself. Maybe you can't keep a job. Maybe you can't stay in a relationship. Maybe you just can't show up places on time, whatever, whatever it is. You're eventually going to become anxious or depressed or both, mm -hmm. which then brings you in front of a therapist who will happily diagnose you with anxiety or depression or both, maybe an eating disorder, maybe some other thing, but they won't necessarily go digging and peeling back the layers to uncover the ADHD that has always been there because most therapists are not trained to do that. I mean, look at the DSM. It, it talks basically in the language of what we look for in little boys, not little girls and not grown girls either. So I think the DSM is part of the problem. It's not therapist's problem, but they don't know what they're looking for because they're not looking for it. Yeah, this reminds me actually of a conversation one of our teachers recently, she, she said that she was in attendance with a bunch of well-experienced, high seasoned coaches and, and there's a therapist, the topic was, narcissism and how do you identify someone who's narcissistic and she said one of the slides was like a total explanation of somebody who with ADHD of just some of the traits were so similar yeah yes. so is it ADHD or is it narcissism and actually mm -hmm. I, I was like curious I and I went and looked it up and I'm like oh yeah some of these things could be an inattentive ADHD with yes. the you know, not wanting to address their emotions, pulling back, all of that. Mm -hmm. So it's fascinating when you look at this to say, do we really understand this complex brain wiring 
or has it just been labeled other things? And if we looked a little deeper, oh, there's that ADHD trait. My money is on that, Kathy. And, and I would say that, you know, over the years, I saw several different therapists and several different psychiatrists. I have been diagnosed adjustment disorder, mm-hmm. anxiety, depression. Nobody, no one ever brought up the possibility of ADHD. I have three kids from two different marriages that all have ADHD and I'm the only parent they have in common and I'm the only parent who has a diagnosis. So it's just, it's nobody's fault. Mm-hmm. But but I think, you know, people like you and I are trying to bring more awareness and more knowledge. Now, why not stay a therapist and keep helping people from that perspective? You know, I mean, you heard me say earlier that I don't believe that staying in therapy indefinitely is, is beneficial. And what I discovered over time is that a lot of my colleagues... I was in publicly funded mental health. I worked with severely emotionally disturbed kids, youth. I worked in the courts. I worked in psychiatric hospitals. I trained uh, graduate students in social work from all the major universities in Southern California, worked at Children's Hospital, worked in community mental health, all, you know, it's a diverse career. And as a person with ADHD who doesn't like to be bored, I moved around a lot. But after all the years of doing that, I realized that there's something fundamentally different about therapy versus coaching. Because by that point, I had been the recipient of some coaching myself and I experienced the difference. And these are this is my perspective, so I'm only gonna speak to that, but it seemed to me over time that Therapy requires both the therapist and the client to agree that there is something wrong with the person. They have a diagnosis. If you don't have a diagnosis, you're not going to get therapy. So you have to have a diagnosis, which becomes a permanent part of your medical history, unless you decide to not use any kind of insurance and not tell anyone officially that you're going, but it's still stigmatized. It is still expensive for and out of reach for many people. It is still, there's still major problems with access to care for underserved communities of all kinds. But I think fundamentally what troubled me over time was that you kind of have to agree together, me as the therapist, you as the client, there's something wrong with you. You have a diagnosis and our goal is for you to cope and to have insight and to be healed. The goals of therapy are healing, coping, and insight. We're just trying to get you back to a normal level of functioning. Well, how do you know when enough is enough? There's no end to the amount of insight a person can gain. There's no amount to the coping skills you could acquire and how much healing is healed. So I think it just started feeling A, too open-ended. B, I didn't like the fact that it was stigmatizing and shameful to people. I didn't like the diagnostic labeling and the power that it gave me. I also didn't like the fact over time that I have a wealth of personal experience with mental illness in my Mm -hmm. family and in my own ADHD. As a therapist, 
I couldn't talk about any of that. It's unprofessional. And so people don't want to know that you understand them because you read it in a book and you have the degrees from all the right schools and look at all my wonderful credentials on the wall. And they wanna know that you understand them because you understand them. As a coach, I can bring all of that into the mix and speak quite openly. Well, my brain's similar to yours and this is what helps me. I couldn't do that as a therapist. Coaching is also generally time limited, solution focused and goal oriented, which meant we're always moving towards a stated objective and we should always know where we are towards that objective. With therapy, there were times I just felt like a paid friend and I really didn't know how long it was gonna go on, but that didn't feel right to me over time. That, that's awesome, it makes so much sense. And for me, when I saw coaching and I, I come from that corporate background of I was a leader, I had a, a team of staff, but when I learned the art of coaching and the style of, you know, truly coaching versus, you know, leading and managing a team, there's quite a difference in with coaching that being able to help or support the person, see their best in themselves come out and be able to work with the possibilities versus yes, your ADHD is going to get in your way. But what are the possibilities? Yes. And when I saw that part of it, and then also the fact that I didn't have to tell them what to do because Lord knows we don't like being what to do, especially as ADDers, is that I have these tools that I can help you discover your optimal kick-ass self by yourself while I'm here with you, supporting you through it. Mm. That was the magical part for me. And then for them to go through it. And and one thing with their, with coaching, at least in my practice, I make myself available to my clients all the time in between sessions where they can message me, they can voicemail me. And we work through the little humps that they will go through Mm. in between sessions where with therapy, you go in, you have a session and it's done. Yeah. It's like nothing better come up between now and next Wednesday at three, because you're going to have to hold on to that, you know? Yeah. And usually the ahas, the insights happen after a session where you're becoming your own self-observer and you're like, oh, I remember I talked about this. Here it is in black and white. And to have that SOS, to be able to call someone and say, okay, I'm going through it right now. Holy cow, it's happening right now. And with it, with the way we, we coach is we're able to process, help them process that quicker and see a different lens and all of that. Well, also, I'm not, I'm not only thinking of the necessity for providing support as needed, mm-hmm. which is super powerful, but so many of us never really think anything we accomplish matters. Yes, we can be so hard on ourselves. So the expectations we have of ourselves are usually so ridiculously high. And we just sort of check things off our list without ever Mm -hmm. really celebrating or or acknowledging Mm -hmm. them or feeling proud. But when you have a coach who's saying, send me a message, like I know you're having that difficult conversation with your spouse, your sister, your boss today, I want you to send me a Voxer message right afterwards. Yeah. Let me know how it went. Or I know you're reaching out to 10 people on LinkedIn. 
send me a message as soon as you're done so I can give you a high five. Like the accountability and just knowing there's someone who thinks what you're doing matters and it counts. It all counts, even if you're not used to thinking it does. Yeah. And it, it's, you're learning new skills, right? It's things that we kind of were sort of figuring it out on our own, especially for our type of audience. We work with high functioning people who've done some kick-ass work and mm -hmm. have accomplished a lot in their lives. So it's not like they're not capable, but then their brain eventually says, I can't keep up with your amazingness. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> and exactly. Slow down, right? So for us, then when we come in, it's to say, here's some new skills. Let, let's sharpen that toolkit a little bit with some different ways of doing it. And then to celebrate those new skills, that is like, let's rewire the brain that way, creating those new pathways in your system, in your brain that are all about sparkly, shiny new achievements mm. versus, you know, keep feeding that brain that likes to latch on to that, you know, negativity bias and woe me and, and believe me in times of stress. That's the most entertaining thing that your brain likes to do, mm. right? You know this, right? So it's it's for us is to be able to focus on the possibilities, the strengths, and I think that's where the differentiation happens with therapy versus coaching too. You know what? I I sometimes when I people would say because I I get asked all the time like why did you leave therapy to become a coach? And I the short answer when I wasn't talking to someone that I like as much as I enjoy talking to you, I'd say, you know, I just outgrew the conversation. I got tired of talking about problems and I really wanted to talk about mm -hmm. possibilities. And I think that sometimes it's, it's nobody's fault, but when you think about what I said earlier, both the therapist and the client are sort of in this complicit agreement that there's something wrong with me. I need healing. I need treatment. I, I need insight. I, I need... I need help. I, I need to cope. And nobody really says, okay, you've had enough. You're done. People don't really trust themselves. And when you don't trust yourself, you're more afraid to take risks. You're more afraid to take chances. You're more afraid to try new things. I, I like the notion that, hey, if you need therapy, there's nothing wrong with getting therapy. If I need therapy again in the future, I will go. It will be time limited. It will be focused on specific situation. And when I've had enough, I'll move along. But I also don't ever want to hear of a coach working with someone who actually needs therapy, but doesn't want to go because of the stigma. And I know that happens because lots of times we don't really know that we're operating outside our scope. So I would be curious to know because I know you are an ethical coach, mm -hmm. like what kind of red flags might come up for you when you're assessing someone for coachability or you first start working with them? Like what would be the red flags that you'd think, you know what, I'm not sure this person's quite ready for coaching. They probably should do some therapy first or if they have the resources, maybe they could do both at the same time and maybe you could even collaborate with the therapist. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. And and we, we you talked about it too. And for me, my very first call with them is to really assess, do you really need a coach right now? Or is it medication? Is it like, go get a, go to a sleep clinic because you're not getting mm. enough sleep mm. because mm. that's what the biggest thing for all of us is sleep mm. deprivation just cripples us. 
you know, and, and all of that. So going through that bit of a checklist for me allows me to kind of assess the person. Yeah. And I've had cases where I have turned away the person of as much as I would love to work with you, this is therapy time. I, I remember a mother who was struggling so bad, trying to juggle all of things with the, with the household and the husband, and she wasn't in a good relationship that was way beyond my scope of dealing with all of that. That wasn't really coaching. That was just like, you need to sort stuff out, right? Yeah. There, there wasn't a clear destination or there, that, that crossroads of do I go A or B where, where we can kind of work through a goal or work towards a goal wasn't there. It was just too ambiguous. And so those are some of the triggers for me where I'm like, therapy is needed. Mm. And, and the other piece that I think when it comes to coaching initially about two years ago my method was you know let's have a, a program where I'm putting you through you know we'll, we'll go through a series of coaching sessions since then I've working with with clients I've realized especially with the type of clients that 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 I work with it's an in and out kind of a thing that they they have that resiliency natural resiliency mm. they have that natural drive the mindset is there it's just it's buried under overwhelm and stress and taking on the world because we know we can take on the world so we do mm. and lack of boundaries mm. and so now it, it's a lot more tighter of a coaching offering that I offer so so that they're meaning, really meaning you see them for a shorter period of time just very focused yeah. on what they need right then and then you go away come back if you have another problem later exactly so that yeah. they it's more results based right like they mm -hmm. experience it okay now I'm ready for the next thing because Life is always throwing stuff at us, right? It's always a cycle. Ain't it the shit. truth? Yeah. So as the changes happen, you know, the next career, the next business gig, the now you're in a partnership, you grew your business, now you're hiring staff. So that's when the coach comes in to kind of help you go through the transitions. To me, that's the beauty of it. And the more you do that, the more you get to see, oh, here's where my ADHD gets in my way. Mm -hmm. And then here's where I get in my own way. Mm -hmm. So to be able to differentiate that too is, is, is beautiful. So Diane, before we wrap up, before we lose our audience's attention, is there anything in specific or anything that we missed when it comes to a coaching versus therapy, kind of like that buyer beware that, that you want to leave a message with? Mm. You know, just kind of a general thought in that, even though I'm no longer a therapist, I am be, be the first one to say that there are coaches that are fantastic, literally rock your world and change your life. There are therapists that can do the same. It can be difficult and maybe it'll be a little frustrating to figure one from the other. It's not a coaches are great and therapists are bad or coaches are short term and focused on your goals and therapists are open-ended and take your money forever. It's not that simple. There are great coaches and there are mediocre coaches and there are frankly coaches that suck and there are therapists on each of those points as well. I think the point that I wanna make most is that even though we don't always trust ourselves as adults with ADHD, oftentimes because the way we see the world doesn't match the way we are being told to see it, starting from a very young age, the ability to rely on your own instincts, your own intuition, when you start to work with someone, whether it's a therapist or a coach, pay attention 
to how you feel in that relationship. Do you feel respected? Do you feel seen? Do you feel understood? Can you tell that this person genuinely wants your best and desires to see your growth? Ask yourself those questions, even though you may be very excited, you may be very nervous, you may be very scattered, but it's a wonderful opportunity to really learn how to trust your own intuition because the right person for you may not be the right person for your friend who made the recommendation or your doctor who sent you, but the right coach for you, the right therapist for you is the one that you feel the right fit with. So the qualities that I tell people to look for regardless of what kind of helping professional they're seeking, do you feel respected? Do you feel understood? Do you feel seen? And do you genuinely believe this person wants to see you grow? And if you get yeses to those, you're in the right place. Thank you, my friend. That was amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time and knowledge transferring all of your wisdom and, and years of experience. This was great. And until next time, people, keep on shining.